0: Hi, I'm Ro, and welcome to Getting Medieval, a podcast where we talk about medieval themes and popular culture. Today, I have with me everyone's favorite southern medieval limonist, Sarah. Sarah, say hi.
1: Hello, Sarah. (laughs)
0: Hi, Sarah. So, Sarah, what are we talking about today?
1: Today, we're gonna talk about an incredible two-book series that has a third coming out soon by Tracy Dion. It's the Legendborn series.
0: So, for those of you who have no idea what Legendborn is, Sarah's going to read the blurb from Tracy Dion's website about it.
1: Yes, and we're only, this is from the first book, so no spoilers. So, filled with mystery and an intriguingly rich magic system, Tracy Dion's YA contemporary fantasy Legendborn offers the dark allure of City of Bones with a modern-day twist on a classic legend and a lot of Southern black girl magic. After her mother dies in an accident, 16-year-old Bree Matthews wants nothing to do with her family memories or childhood home. A residential program for bright high schoolers at UNC Chapel Hill seems like the perfect escape until Bree witnesses a magical attack on her very first night on campus. A flying demon feeding on human energies, a secret society of so-called legend-born students that hunt the creatures down, and a mysterious teenage mage who calls himself a quote Merlin, and who attempts, and fails, to wipe Bree's memory of everything she saw. The mage's failure unlocks Bree's own unique magic and a buried memory with a hidden connection. The night her mother died, another Merlin was at the hospital. Now that Bree knows there's more to her mother's death than what's on the police report, she'll do whatever it takes to find out the truth, even if that means infiltrating the legend-born as one of their initiates. She recruits Nick, a self-exiled legend-born, with his own grudge against the group, and their reluctant partnership pulls them deeper into the society's secrets and closer to each other. But when the legend-born reveal themselves as the descendants of King Arthur's knights and explain that a magical war is coming, Bree has to decide how far she'll go for the truth and whether she should use her magic to take the society down or join the fight.
0: So, we got magic, we got Arthurian knights, and we have got blackroom magic. So, to summarize like the too long didn't read Bree Matthews is a young black teenager who is going on some kind of like Fulbright program not even a Fulbright like a residential program to UNC that the kind of bridge that the gap between high school and college and as both of us are southern and we UNC was like one of the like, schools is always talked about in Southern high schools. Um, currently letting my accent slip, i <laughs> Um uh, I I forgot what I, <laughs> oh, but I was gonna say. I'll delete this later, I won't. But it's very ingrained in UNC, like Southern college culture. You see that a lot with the students, and especially the way Tracy Dion kind of writes their campus experience. But but especially the black campus experience, because that is the fundamental part of this book, is that it is Bree's experiences as a black girl entering into a very, very white, European-centric society. And as medievalists, we (laughs) have seen that firsthand. Isn't that right, Sarah?
1: That is correct. And in case you missed the first episode, we will... I will make it clear I am pretty pale white, but um, as a person in the medieval field today, that is something that I am also painfully aware of and the advantages that come with that. And I do want to say in an interview um, with the Young Adulting website, Tracy Dion does state that she deliberately chose UNC Chapel Hill. She went there. So she has a lot of experience in UNC Chapel Hill as a place and as her experience in what she called, and I think it is a pretty general term, the primarily white environment. So
0: yeah, like we see that come through really, really heavily. And as someone who is both white and black, I am very mixed and funnily enough, mixed with Irish and Welsh and <laughs> black. So A lot of the story resonated really heavily for me in terms of someone who studies Arthurian literature. Um, Last conference I went to, I did a presentation about race and um, medievalism, specifically talking about Old Norse adaptions and like racial reactions to certain things. And the entire audience for that panel, and every panel I went to, was white except for my friend. We were the only two people of color in the entire conference. Maybe not entire conference. There was like two or three others. But in a conference of like over 200 people, that is just like four or five is a staggering differential but also one that is pretty common actually i mean so i'm sure like you've noticed stuff at like even like bigger conferences like k hmm
1: and i can like a small aside so i actually found out about this series at a panel at k nice which was um young adult adaptations of medieval literature and of course you know that's kind of considered the throwaway panel because the majority of the field is still older and white and tenure track wouldn't that be nice but (laughs) um that panel or that session specifically was the most diverse that I went to where we had lots of people of color where we had lots of different types of people and it coincidentally was the most interesting That resulted in me going out and immediately buying both of the Tracy Deon books because she's doing some really important stuff here, which they talked about.
0: Okay, so Legendborn being a book set in the modern day featuring characters from medieval legend. Do we know what sources um, Tracy Deon is explicitly drawing from?
1: So um, she calls it actually uh, in in the interview I just – referenced a little bit ago she is almost exclusively pulling from king arthur legend which right. as we've kind of uh identified these are characters that are not presented as real people although people did like to claim lineage from them yes uh, but that is more just a trope of that time and a thing that people did but um these characters or caricatures even, Mm -hmm. are illustrating qualities that we would want to emulate. And I, you know, there's lots of different precedent for that. But um, so Dion was pulling from that. She says that she calls it a 1500 year old global fanfic um, because there isn't really one true King Arthur story or legend. These circulated... Through both, um, you know, people recording it and sharing it and also like oral traditions, which were still kind of circulating around at that time. So she was not a medievalist, um, but.
0: Really? No. Oh, Um, she she did some really good research. She
1: did. She had several uh, consultants specifically. I just um, and I'm not going to name a bunch of names, but she had people specifically consulting on like the medieval Welsh language um, modern translations, So she definitely did do her homework. And I believe there is a bibliography somewhere with like further reading of what she read.
0: Yeah. Somewhere. Um,
1: but also she had several, I think two or three medieval consultants specifically, um, that would help her make sure that everything still lines up.
0: I have not heard anything negative about the Welsh that she's using. And in book two, mine minor, a spoiler, but not really, uh, she does make a differentiation uh, b- b- between when Brie is like reciting something in old Welsh versus mm-hmm. modern Welsh mm-hmm. and makes a really good a distinction of, I can she can pick up some things in the modern Welsh, but because Arthur didn't speak modern Welsh, she can't speak modern Welsh, which brings me to like a really interesting point about her, um, where she's drawing from, because she's specifically drawing from the Welsh legends of Arthur, which, according to many, many scholars, well, Wales was where Arthur most likely originated from. The one thing I realize she's not pulling from, which hurts my heart, Tracy Dion, this hurts my heart. Oh, why did it get so loud? Oh yeah, because I had to turn the gain up a little <laughs> bit. Um, is that I don't think she's pulling from the prose Lancelot. I think what the two heaviest works I'm assuming she's pulling from is um, Geoffrey of Monmouth's History of the Kings of Britain and then probably Mallory's La Mort d'Arthur. Because in the modern day, most of us who know, like just have a passing knowledge of Arthur and legend are in fact pulling from La Mort d'Arthur. Because there's some knights that aren't mentioned in her round table that she's using, such as Lance last boyfriend. Um, a little heartbroken about that. Actually, <laughs> I think it would have been much stronger for William to have been like a scion of like Galahout or Galio, however you want to pronounce it. But I understand why she did it and it's probably because she had no idea that this night existed.
1: Or was making specific decisions because of the romance like the, the love Sir triangle, yeah. and to align certain people with certain people.
0: That's true. I just, I just want Gallio to get his, uh, Galahad to get his time in the sun. And it's not just because I'm writing my dissertation about him or anything. Not at all. But, but also, you, I do recognize that like some of these works are not in English. So like, um the Legend of Sir Morion, which she does reference, and. The Prose Lancelot are the Estoire de Merlin is all in like it's in French, whereas Morin is in Dutch. But there had the last translation of it was phew, Norse Lacy for um, the post Vulgate stuff, which was years, uh, years, 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 years ago. And which hasn't been there has been like a really modern translation. So getting your hands on a lot of these older Arthurian works is. Is really painful to do. So, like, and I don't expect someone to have read every single Arthurian work in existence to to write a YA book. I do not think that is a fair critique. But that said, she has done her homework. I mean, what do you think?
1: As somebody who has at least a passing knowledge about Arthurian legend um, and definitely outside of my wheelhouse in terms of academic knowledge, I did not have I did not see any glaring things that I had problems with. Typically if I did see something that stood out, there was a I could tell writing-wise and craft-wise there was a reason she made yeah. the decisions that she did. And she's definitely worked very closely with those consultants to make sure that everything lines up and that you know once again this is a young adult series. We can talk a little bit about that as a genre in a little bit, but I when most people are approaching this series, they aren't academics usually. No, And this is the gateway that gets you in, that can get you into a lot more detailed work. Right. So I would, you know, hopefully she would not have been writing with a bunch of footnotes and stuff. Because teaching books with footnotes in the freshman class has been really fun. Because they don't know what to do with that anyway.
0: Which does remind me, brief aside, of this book I just read or am listening to audiobook wise. Got um, Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies, which uses footnotes and is very epistolary. Um, very good. If you want a good, like, adult fantasy with footnotes, read that. Anyway, moving back to Tetracy Dion. So, like, and this is, again, made for teenagers. We are not the intended audience of this book. Um, and I think that's important to recognize when we're talking about it, because when I go to critique a book, I'm not going to critique it the same way I would critique like something written by N.K. Jemison, right? Like I would critique, our, yeah, that's the best example because they're both writing in similar genres. Like, wouldn't a critique N.K. Jemison's adult science fiction work the way I would critique? Tracy Dion's Legendborn, because they have two different audiences. And YA is a genre with conventions, and conventions that readers expect to be upheld. Like, for example, a love triangle. A love triangle that when when you are a teenager is scandalous and exciting, but when you are an adult, it's like, if you don't just talk to these people, (laughs) if you don't use your words... But they're teenagers. Why would they use their words? Because if you're a teenager, a lot of times you're going to act on emotions first. I know I sure as held him. But I think go with that mindset going in, how do you think, Sarah, that Tracy Dion used Arthurian legend, but in a way that is approachable for teenagers? Not appropriate, because I think appropriateness is a murky ground it's a loaded word yeah at this point um but approachable i think it's right, a better right, one right we're accessible yeah
1: um in terms of the specific love triangle and to i mean assuming that anybody listening to this isn't concerned about that level of spoiler um there for an adult reader or anybody who's read a lot of ya the love triangle setup is pretty obvious between Bree and nick and selwyn Um, And we have our obvious like kind of character differences that that add to those tensions. And Nick and Selwyn are like best friends or at least people who have had a very close relationship, whether or not they like it at given points. But what that does is kind of prime us to get ready for the love triangle in King Arthur Right, right, um,
0: because that is a fundamental part of Arthurian legend,
1: but with these contemporary characters fulfilling different roles, right? Um, and I guess we we talked earlier about it being kind of a spoiler, but sorry, you're listening to this, so we're right. gonna give you like two seconds if you don't want a spoiler.
0: So, so I'm gonna say right now, if you don't want spoilers, we love you. Um, we'll see you next time. However, I think from here on now, we're probably going to have to talk about some plot points. A few. Yeah, we're not, not, gonna, we're not, not spoiling
1: too book two. We're not no, doing the big You can probably
0: ones. skip around, but if you want to go in completely blind, now's your time to click off. But also, why did you click on this podcast, this episode?
1: So, of course, one of the main things is that it, when you are part of this organization, uh You are part of a line. So you have that, we talked about, you know, descending from lines. So when you meet Nick, who's that kind of aloof guy in the beginning Mm -hmm. and is the first love interest for Bree, he is part of the line of Arthur. Right. And is being set up by his father and by the rest of the group to, you know, take his place eventually. And that's a very loaded position for him to be in. So Bree is his... uh, did they say Squire? Yeah, Squire or Page. She was a page, which has its own complications in terms of contemporary opinions.
0: Right. Um, also, it's very loaded, I think, racially as well.
1: Yes. Uh, that was a big one for me. Um, but then we have so she has no dis- line of descent at the point in the beginning. But then, of course, we have Selwyn Kane, who's like your typical broody goth boy. Um, who I love because he's a shithead, and I love shitheads.
0: We love a broody goth boy in romance, the one that has a tattoo that's a little bit scandalous. He's a little bit dangerous. He's He's,
1: mad. He's He's angry.
0: He's mean.
1: Yeah, so show me that. I will 100% go for that person. But um, he is a descendant of Merlin, which... If you have any knowledge of the King Arthur legend at all, you know Merlin is a complicated character. Yeah. And Merlin, I mean, yes, he does support Arthur, but he's got his own motivations. Right, And then, so we've got these lines set up and these kind of relationships. So, like, Merlin kind of serves Arthur, but also has his own motivations. So we have that with Selwyn and Nick. But then you find out, and here's our big spoiler, is that, of course, Brie is actually the line of Arthur.
0: dun 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 dun, which is
1: fantastic and throws a whole bunch of things um and like it
0: is one of those why things that is very oh well duh right but even when it happens you're like i knew it but you still like you but it's satisfying god God, it's so
1: satisfying so then we find out that nick is the line of lancelot and there's our that's how it's really priming us for that um relationship between those two
0: right well i will say that like Her being the scion of Arthur is satisfying in that the shock of all of those white people's faces. But then when you realize how she's the scion of Arthur, it's not satisfying and it's tragic, but it puts a light on very real problems that – because her ancestor was – and this is a trigger warning here, so I'm going to give you like a couple seconds – was assaulted, was raped by – The then scion of Arthur, who was a part of, well, was part of Nick's family, right? Was it like would have
1: been a line of descent, yes. And that's why they assumed that Nick was also
0: the son of Arthur. And the, and it, it doesn't shy away from the fact that it happened.
1: I really like, and I don't, Let me finish this. I really like that Tracy Dion has us sit with that. Yes. And does not make it comfortable. Right. Because that is a way to reckon with the past and really show how this works. And she didn't pull the punch. And for a Mm. YA novel specifically, I was really impressed with how she handled that.
0: Yeah. And I think we grew up with YA novels that didn't hold punches a lot of the time. With stuff like that. Like there were some that really like hit you hard. And and I think current publishing trends lends to very utopian style of works. So you have a this new like wave of readership, which isn't everyone. I'm not trying to generalize to stuff I have seen online. Of like, we can't really have these conversations. Like, why do, 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 do these books have these things? It's like, well, because if we don't sit with it, if we don't or, or if we're not forced to confront it. Because this is a part of American history, right? Like this is something, if you are born in America, you have to sit with the legacy of what that entails. And especially writing this book about a 17, 16-year-old, well, 17 by the time of the two, black girl who was thrust into this world of not just white people, but rich old blooded, old money white people, who almost undoubtedly, it's not just Nick's family who has had enslaved people. I am assuming almost all of them at one point owned another human being. And that is something that Tracy Dion makes you sit with, makes you understand that Bree's ancestors fought for their place in this world, and fought and clawed their way up from oppression through, and it's a really maternal thing that when she talks to her ancestors, they all tell her that, like, you are this weapon that has been forged through years of a struggle, the years of us living. And for me, and as much as I love, like, Arthur and Legend, I think it's really important to, to understand that some of these knights would absolutely do this. And that, because there's... I forgot which night it was. It might have been Boris. But who did assault someone? I mean, a lot of them did. Not I don't think Lancelot ever did, because he's the golden boy. And I know Galahout never did. I don't think Gowan did either, but some of the other ones and wouldn't assault women, but assault giantesses. And I'm making that distinction because giants were not considered well, to, for lack of a better term, weren't considered white. If we're going to use uh, today's kind of racialized anthology here. And so taking one to wife, which meant killing the husband, which was often abusive and evil, but then forcing yourself upon her was something that is common in quite a few legends. And to have that shown up again, to have that kind of scene that like, Brie is othered by everyone in this order She is seen as either this mythical savior or the problem. But I mean, that's just how I'm reading it as someone who's biracial, someone who's both like Irish and Welsh and black. And I've kind of seen the I've seen firsthand those two sides butting heads. It is. Not triggering for me, I think is the right word, but some of the things that they said to her, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's. Like, it's not an exaggeration. It's not like a Tracy's putting this in for shock value. It is top-down what she most definitely experienced, what people have experienced, what black people have experienced time and time again living in the South.
1: Well, and it's not even... And in most of these cases, we're talking about how Brie is dealing with this organization or with the order specifically. But even... As a 17, 16, 17-year-old 17 girl who is going on this program to UNC Chapel Hill, which is primarily white, is built on the bones of her ancestors. Yes. Um, and so there's just, for lack of a better way to put it, like the ambient weight of all of this that she's still having to deal with. So just, you know, the regular world issues that she's having to deal with. And there's a couple of scenes with a specific cemetery that is on campus um, that actually uh, David Joy also wrote about in his book, uh, Those We Thought We Knew, last year. Mm. So UNC Chapel Hill, fictional, but, you know, the the landscape is uh, very real. Um, But I think as somebody reading it and putting myself in her shoes as the main character and just like – even at best on the normal day, you're still dealing with stuff. It's not just the order of Arthur and all of the chaos that's going on with that.
0: Right. Like she could have, like Tracy Dion, and this is the sad thing I think about Southern American society, could have set this novel at any major Southern institution and still had the same connection to root work, to ancestral trauma at any institution. And I want everyone to kind of sit with that for a second. Because like I got my undergrad from College of Charleston. And just right off campus, like two blocks away is the Charleston Market, which, you know, everyone's like, "Yeah, I want to walk to the market." But when you realize what that market is was was a market where they sold enslaved people. So Tracy Young could have quite literally taken this and set it in Charleston and had the same effect. And that is the, and not even just the enslaved market, but it's also the like white societies that exist down there that also exist in Appalachia, which is just kind of really chilling when you kind of think about that, like going back just how, how deeply ingrained these struggles are to Southern culture. And I'm saying this as someone who was born and raised in South Carolina. Like, I was born in the upstate. I was raised in the upstate. I've been through southern colleges my entire life. And and it is something that I wrestle with every day. And, like, my father wrestles with every day is just, like, he went to the first integrated high school in South Carolina, and that is not that long ago. And because I've seen some reviews of, like, a lot of – the racism is exaggerated. It is not. It is not an exaggeration. Um, like in book two, with the scene where William goes to the bathroom, but then the gas station attendant doesn't let Bree go to that bathroom. He's like, It's broken. And Cell and Will get angry and go to fight, and Bree's like, Stop because they most likely have a gun. They will shoot us. And that is just kind of something you have to reconcile with, you have to deal with. And but I think also shows a good point in that like, your white friends are ready to fight on your behalf, which is great. However, who was gonna bear the consequences of that action? Because it's not going to be the two rich white men that bear that consequence. It's going to be Bree and Alice, which I think we should also talk about. Her best friend, mm-hmm. Alice. What, what did you think about Alice?
1: I mean, there's always that trope of the best friend in the YA novel. Right. Um,
0: I love a good best friend.
1: I also love a good best friend. I have a good best friend. Period. Uh, but I, th- what I think was interesting with Alice specifically was she's also a person of color. She's mm. also experiencing a lot of the same things as Brie. Yeah. And when it comes, you know, they, they do have that kind of trope of Brie has to hide things from Alice initially, but then – Alice is brought in. Right. And as a regular human um is also able to kind of handle a lot of the chaos as well.
0: She's a English major or a med student. English major. I forgot what Alice was. Cuz one of them is an English major, I'm pretty sure.
1: That sounds like an Alice thing,
0: but Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I did not pay as much attention to Alice as I did to everybody else in this <laughs> novel. Because for me, Alice was kind of there, got on my nerves a little bit, and then be- became better.
1: Well, and of course, with as with any kind of, and these are pretty big books, especially for a YA yeah. novel, um, the beginning was, a, even for me as an adult reader, I had to kind of reread some parts because it's very complicated, there's lots of characters that they're introducing, and a yeah. lot going on. Um
0: but speaking of characters, do you want to talk about cell you want you want to talk about cell don't you? I
1: I don't know if I necessarily have any real specific things to say about cell other than, you know it this is the place where we see Dion using those YA tropes right so like Nick is the attractive blonde Adonis, Arthurian, you know, who you would envision as, like, the Arthurian hero. And that's a very deliberate choice on her part, Mm -hmm. and brilliantly so, because then he's not. Um, And then Selwyn is kind of the mirror image of that, as you see with Arthur and Merlin in a lot of imagery.
0: Right. Um, Except Sel's not old.
1: Right. Um, Sel is young and cute, and I made the mistake of just googling fan art so I'm like I'm just curious like no, what do people do yeah it's it was a mistake so I'm like this child is 16 You don't do that. I'm don't. almost 40. Um but in now being an adult knowing how way novels tend to work it does a good job of pulling in, you know, a, a diverse audience so like you know team Jacob team Edward. Right. Uh that kind of thing. Although I think she's doing a lot more with it than than yeah. just trying to shoot for, you know, dividing it up into teams. And I don't want to spoil any sort of love triangle kind of situation. Because right. we don't have that resolved yet, no. in all honesty. Um, but I will, will say. That, I will say. Yeah. The the thing that I appreciate about this in the love triangle situation. I hate it. It's annoying. I, <laughs> well, we have to deal with it in medieval literature, too. Is, right, and I get so tired of that's it. That's where it gets set up. But the way to win me over in these types of, of stories is does the the central point, does our protagonist recognize there's a choice outside of this triangle?
0: Yes, that's the big If thing. they
1: do, fantastic. Then I'm more willing to buy into it. And I hate to say Hunger Games was great, but at one point Katniss did recognize there was a future outside of Peta and Gale. Gosh, yeah. how do I remember that? Um, Forever ago. But I think this is also showing a more engaged writer who has fully yes. fleshed out characters rather than just simply
0: using tropes. Right. And like there are some tropey things about certain characters, but like there are tropey things about the Arthurian characters. I mean, they invented the tropes. They are. Lancelot is the trope. Um Eric is the trope. Tristan, Tristan is the the hallmark of like that that love-sick knight. But what I found really interesting is that as much as there's this love triangle, there has been no mention of Guinevere at all. And she is, as much as I am a Guinevere hater and a Morgan apologist, Guinevere is the central key point between Arthur and Lancelot. She's the reason that like a lot of shit happens whether or not she wants it to is neither here nor there, but she's not mentioned at all. Even though the Selwyn-Brie-Nick tri- triangle is shaping up to be very Lancelot-Guinevere-Arthur. Except there's no, technically there's no Guinevere.
1: Well, I wondered too, I mean, the way that the the iteration of the order in which Brie is introduced to, that was a really convoluted way of saying it. Brie meets the order at a time when they're already accepting women. Right. And a woman can be of descent. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if part of it is with those lines of descent, it's because they are knights and Guinevere wasn't a knight. Mm. I feel like that's overly simplified.
0: Yeah. And I'm wondering if, she, because there are certain key characters that she hasn't touched on yet. Mm-hmm. That aren't just like one-off nights; like they're central, and they're central female characters too. And I wonder if that if she's saving that for book three because we have we have had no mention of Nimue. The Lady of the Lake is just absent throughout this, which is which I have a few like a few questions or theories about, and I wonder if it's because Dion is avoiding fairies right now. Because you can't really make the lady of the lake a cambium because she's not. Um, She is Fae through and through. Like Fae's are a huge part of a in legend, she has left those out. And I'm wondering if she might make the Lady of the Lake a root crafter. That is my initial thought that like she might turn the, the Lady of the Lake black and link her to like various other like. Black female figures associated with water, because there's a lot, and I think that's you could do something with that. And because Dali like doesn't really have a nationalistic identity besides the lake, and the lake in question is in France. But besides that, there's no really like national identity for her. Where and we've just got Morgan introduced in book two. Which I'm so excited, Morgan is my favorite character. <laughs> I think Arthurian legend gets so much better when Morgan shows up and ruins everyone's life. Mordred. Shithead. <laughs> Have we seen Mordred?
1: Um, I don't recall, because be- I didn't want to go too deeply in a book to, like, in researching before we recorded this, because then I'd be tempted to spoil things.
0: He, mm not that I remember him yeah. being mentioned. But it's interesting though that he's mentioned in the appendices even though it's because of him that Arthur's Court falls. Well and I Well according to certain legends.
1: I do also wonder um, in her attempt like in her attempt to seat this in some sense of reality. Right. um, And in contemporary in a a world in which a young adult reader is going to recognize Yeah. If Bringing in things like fairies and the lady mm. of the lake puts it too far outside, yeah. Um, that's I mean, because we have the knights, we have the demons, we've got magic, we've got rupert, right. we've got all of this stuff, and I wonder if that's also a decision where maybe those manifest differently or mm. look different, or it was that kind of deliberate decision to keep it more simple.
0: Right, because, like, I think that including fairies would have already added to the, like, placing it closer in line with other works that are kind of doing the similar, like, teenagers fighting demons.
1: I mean, reading this felt really similar to, like, the Wednesday TV show. Yeah. Um, I just tore through the Holly Black uh, Elfame series, and there were parts of that where... You know, that's got characters with similar depth, but since Elfame mm-hmm. has a lot more, like, the, quote, magic magic, yeah. it doesn't hit the same.
0: I'm wondering if she wants to avoid any more City of Bones comparisons, which is valid and fair. Um I would also not want to be compared to City of Bones. Cassandra Clare, do not sue me. Don't listen to this.
1: I will say that this is one of the books that got me back into YA. Mm-hmm. Um I... Was just to I called out of it like I guess when the first Twilight book came out because I was in my early twenties at that point, and I didn't come back until last year, and was like, oh these these really are a force. They've grown.
0: Yeah, some of these YA books are that are doing. I don't want to say that 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 are doing adult literature because that sounds awful, but are like straddling that line. Between writing for teenagers, but also writing at a level where, like, they know that older teenagers can handle it.
1: She, well, yeah, I think she recognizes that teenagers today are a lot different than teenagers mm-hmm. 20 years ago, and they're dealing with a lot more issues, and they've right. grown up in a whole different world than I did.
0: Yeah. Like, I can't even imagine. I don't even want to imagine being a teenager right now. Because that sounds awful. And, like, but seeing what Brie goes through when she's thrust into this world of knights and whiteness and trying to navigate. Suddenly everything you knew about your world is wrong, which is like a standard YA thing, right? But then being called page by white people and being ordered around is very demeaning and then dealing with like in book two dealing with like the regents, that are because there's a scene where and this is a spoiler so come back in like two minutes where she undergoes the right of kings and instead of letting her ca- complete it they drug her and lock her up and keep her and chain because they don't know what what her problem is and then she says to them, would you have done this to Nick? And they're like, well, no. And they're like, yeah, because you're only doing this because he doesn't look like me. And then which one of them's like, this isn't about race. And like he's spluttering. And it's like, well, now that you said it, it is about race. And when he calls her like the Welsh word for mistake, I was like, oh, girl, if you don't start killing these people, mm-hmm. um, I need to start swinging. But also, they're just so awful and evil. And... And and they're being portrayed like they're like in their minds they're doing the correct thing, even though, when they get called racist they immediately like shrivel up and it was like well no 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 that, this isn't race like we do this for anyone that's like a once born not like but let's like, but you but you wouldn't and you know that, and that's what's also kind of frustrating reading it, is like. How many times, have like. Someone like, for example, my dad, when he got like fired because he was making too, too, too much money and they could hire three people to do what he does for his for like split and was like, well, well it's not about race. It's like, well, what is it then? Because the three people you hired were younger and white. So. But it's just goes to say, like, this is just something that like. That black people have to deal with, because like my dad always told me. You're gonna have to work twice as hard for half as much, and Bree like understands that, and but also has to like reconcile. And I think she she does at the end of the book too. Like, do you want to be like king over all of these like shitty white people? Like, do you want the? Do you actively want to be Arthur Sion? Because I would be like, no, I like and. Especially when Arthur is a shit stain. Sorry for the language, but we've got to talk about Arthur being a shithead. And not in like the fun way and like Arthur's awful. Because he thinks, like typical white man thinks that, like, sorry, typical white king thinks that, like, not king in a good way, king derogatory, thinks that, like, his way is the only way that should ever matter. And he is unwilling to to listen to Brie. Completely unwilling.
1: Well, it's the benevolent kind of, I know what's best for everybody. And you don't recognize this now, but you'll be happy later when you see that I did this thing that was incredibly horrible and racist. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think it was interesting that Nick's reaction to finding out that he isn't the scion of Arthur and that it is, in fact, a young black girl was not he wasn't as upset about it as I would imagine a lot of other people in that order would have been.
0: Yeah. I was very worried he was going to have mm-hmm. not a good rape reaction and then Bruce Hart was going to be completely shattered.
1: And that would have been a, an easy way to break that triangle early yeah. on. Um, so it, I thought it was interesting that he was more... Words are not coming to me today. Um, that he wasn't a shithead like his dad. Right. And I do think one distinction to make about his dad, who is like the running the order, is that his dad was it Tennyson?
0: Yeah, I think he quoted Tennyson. So his dad's
1: constantly quoting Tennyson, but getting it wrong. Right. So we're already like as a character it's a brilliant character kind of indicator that he misunderstands things. He has this idea of the world and it's dated and wrong and flawed mm-hmm, and is mm-hmm. trying to impose it on everybody else because he gets to, because he is that white man in that position of power.
0: No, I never trust someone who's so obsessed with idols of a king. <laughs> uh, t- yeah. Because, um, like, even Tennyson got a lot of his shit wrong, like, interpreted in a way that was fitting Victorian society at that time. And my hatred. <laughs> of the Victorians knows no bounds, I think. Um I sorry, sorry for all you Victorians out there. I just blame Victorians for the way medieval studies and medieval literature gets reinterpreted now. And Be- sorry. No, so I I was, was going to say that like medieval literature got its imperialistic, nationalistic angle to it because of the Victorians and because especially into like the like 1900 early 1900s, with Germany's like revitalization of Nordic legend, but in a very Nazi way, which has led us to our current struggles today with medieval studies.
1: And I do think there is just a certain type of person who is drawn to specific fields, and we've talked about the problematic. Mm-hmm aspects of people who get into that kind of Norse uh, with with some medievalists but then also with you know if you're into Victorian that's a red flag for me. (laughs) Like if you're that kind of
0: person. Right like it depends on like it's very much the why do you like the Victorians because like if you think it's cool and whatever yeah sure but like if you are reading it because you think Queen Victoria was right we'd have a conversation. Same with like if you're into like Sparta why are you into Sparta? I need you to tell me why. Because if it's the whole, like, they were, like, an elite race, blah, blah, blah. It's like, is it the eugenics that makes you happy? Or is it because they were just wild?
1: What is your Roman Empire?
0: Like, what is your Roman Empire? I mean, I can't really talk because, like, I do Arthurian legend. (laughs) I mean, mine is Beowulf. And, like, and I'm fully aware of the types of people that that draws into. Yeah. Because like I said at the conference, like you have two different times of the way people use medieval literature. And if it's knights, it's this weird crusader ideology. Or if it's Norse stuff, it is. Like, we are the true master race. And they use Vikings, and like, I don't... Vikings... I'm going to just wear a sign that says Vikings was a job with a little heart on it. Vikings was a job. <laughs> But that being said, because that was a little brief tangent and aside that I think I have at least once an episode now. <laughs> so this one might get slightly edited out because I think I had a same tangent with Ian.
1: <laughs> well, we all have our our own like the
0: th- we have our permanent. What's the
1: thing we don't have chill about? And apparently, mine's Beowulf.
0: Right, like mine is definitely yeah. Arthur and Legend, which and
1: going after people who have the wrong ideas.
0: Right. Which, so speaking of Bree's dad, um, not Bree's dad, sorry, Nick's dad, and his constant misquote because he compares her to Sir Morion. Like at the end of Book One, or mentions him. I forgot what he says about him, but I know it's wrong. Because like he says something about like, I forgot how he calls Sir Morion. But refers to him in a very derogatory fashion. And like in my mind I had to think about, okay, so why are, are these people still racist in two thousand and twenty-three? Like why are we doing this? Um, whoa, hello, Holly Black. Sorry. Sarah pulled up a um well Sarah, what did you just pull up that I like, mean? Um so it? I
1: am a big fan of Holly Black.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and apparently she reasonably recently did a retelling of the Legend of Sir Morian, so we might have to come back and talk about that.
0: I love how Sarah just keeps showing me things and it's like, "Hey, I'm coming back." <laughs> I was supposed to have a round table of of, of a <laughs> it was simply not happening. Can
1: I be your Sir Bedivere? Yeah, he's my favorite. Now.
0: Okay, you can be him, um, but I don't want to be Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so um. Nick's dad compares Bree to Sir Morian at one point, who is one of the, like, few black knights of the round table. Um, and he gets his ass handed to him in book one and in book two. And it's, uh, and it's always a great time to watch, actually. But that being said, like, Traceon acknowledges Sir Morian. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, doesn't put him as a legend-born And I'm wondering if it's because racism of like, not on Dion's part, but of like the order as an old European order. And there is this ideology, even by some of the pages and squires that like, at least one of them is really racist in book two. And is like, she shouldn't be here. And it's like, well, girl, well, she is like, what are you going to do about it? Well, tried and failed. But it's really interesting to kind of see like these people are so beholden to a a tradition that they don't think that they're racist. But from an outsider looking in, it's like, no, y'all are hella racist. And there are some like openly like racist uh, remarks about her, about her hair. When in book two, I'm thinking of uh, specifically when one of the like Legendborns like makes a comment of her like needing to like straighten her hair or something
1: wasn't there a scene in which she ended up I think Alice brought her um some of her hair products because yeah. like she was she had to stay in the like the orders
0: my like compound or compound
1: whatever. and um, didn't have stuff to take care of her hair and yes. I noted that Alice had to bring it to her yes. and it was like even though I think Nick had was protecting her and mm-hmm. brought her in like just the things that people aren't aware of mm-hmm. and that goes into like for lack of a better way to put it, I've, I've called it like ambient racism, or just like that entrenched. Yeah. We don't know, and it's not like he did it deliberately, and it's not like it was intentionally an act of aggression. But but like somebody had to help take care of her because she didn't, she wasn't able to there.
0: Right, and you see that very often until she goes and meets with like the root workers, who immediately like talk to her, recognize her. And even the tone of the writing shifts. Mm-hmm. Like, you can tell Bree's much more relaxed. Like, they're using uh, colloquialisms back and forth. And it's more of a sense of I am home, almost, rather than I am here and I am consistently on guard. Like, when she's talking, like, I mean, not at first with, like, Dr. Patricia, but, like, when she opens up and mm-hmm. are with, with um, Auntie Lou and her wife. Hazel, I think it's Hazel. Like, there's a sense of like welcomeness towards Brie. And it's such a stark difference of how these older black women are recognizing her and taking her in, as opposed to these older white men plus Sestra, who are just like, bam, 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 like, no, we are locking you up, blah, 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 blah. And also, it's like, so, it's like she's.
1: I- also thought it was really interesting how much of Tracy Dion's experience is also rooted and i guess pun intended um, she also is very deeply involved with food right southern food yeah and of course with that being such a big part of appalachian culture and black culture and too black culture is food because it's it's an act of of love and taking care right. of somebody and in those scenes in book 2 when she does finally meet and, and go to be with the root workers. Mm. I felt myself relaxed just knowing mm-hmm. she's going to be okay for the next few chapters because right. she is here.
0: Yes. it was a moment of peace and a moment of like who And also we're, we're getting to, to experience her with with the black side of her magic. Mm-hmm. And I really like that instead of like have forcing her to only choose, like the Arthurian side, the European side, she got to experience both. And I think that's so important for her as a character because all too often I see characters who are black who are like forced into these European magic systems and not given a chance to explore their own kind of magic systems. And like sometimes the author doesn't even present that as an option. It's like, well, the only kind of magic here is this one that was made in Western Europe by Merlin. And it's like, well, mm mmm. Which also leads me to like a speculative question, which I think, since we're running out of time, a good question to kind of end on is Do you think Dion is explicitly leaving out, like, I'm sure there's other orders or stuff that fight demons. That's not just Arthur. I would imagine so, because this is my, and, and this is always my personal gripe with YA, is that there's like this one order for the entire world. Including Asia, all of Africa, all of Europe too.
1: Here's why I don't think she is. Mm. Um, if she does, then this goes really Rick Rayorden.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Um, and either you know now she's responsible for building out this whole universe, right. or in doing the thing that he finally intelligently did, which was handing over. Handing it over. Um, and fun fact: all of his papers are at Texas State University in the Whitliff Collections. Oh. Um, including his middle school journal. I do like Rick. Um yeah, he's a Texan. But I I want this to stay focused on this.
0: Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I definitely agree.
1: I it would be an interesting thing, but I think it would also discount from what's happening here and how important that Brie is.
0: Yeah. I would like I would like an acknowledgement of like we can't be everywhere at once. I'm sure there's like because I'm like and I assume they won't they wouldn't even know if there were other people doing this outside. And like I'm sure there are like when whenever I see a universe like this, I'm just like, I am sure that if one legend is true, then other legends are also true.
1: Well, and to be fair, the order did have, I think, it you know, different schools or it was seated in different schools specifically. Right. So it's not like it's just this one order at UNC Chapel Hill. Yeah. like Like there's others. Um, I'm
0: assuming that now they're probably global. Or yep. at least as global as they can be.
1: But I like keeping it keeping it central to and Arthur, keeping it yeah. local to Arthur and local to uh, UNC Chapel Hill. I think that's really important for this story and in thinking about place. Because, of course, the mountains in Appalachia are connected with, was it England, Scotland? Like that mountain range split at some point. Yeah. So I think it needs to stay no. When I say small... That's a big small.
0: Right, a big small. But, like, stay with one legend rather yes. than start pulling from, like, Whereas, like, suddenly there's a Valkyrie.
1: I would be so mad.
0: I wouldn't. <laughs> As someone who loves Valkyries, I would not be mad. I would be, like, I'm confused. But, I'd, like, I just really want her to bring in more of Morgan Le Fay. That's my my like a, big ending take. That, that, that feels like a good. that
1: feels like a book three and yeah oh yeah um you know when book three comes out which according to Goodreads was January first twenty twenty five so cross if, oh, our yeah. fingers we'll I'm sure record a sequel and you know talk about that oh, when yeah. it comes out but I have one closing question which What's is that? without spoilers where do you see this going?
0: do I see this going I. I mean, I see the end of the conflict happening because I think that's just where it's going. I see something with Morgan happening. Mm -hmm. And it's because of kind of the like little battle at the end. Because book one mentions Morganes a lot. And we only really get to see them at the end of book two. I think something with them is happening. So either there's going to be a brand new line or the whole thing is just going to be done. I think,
1: I think, I think she's going to kill the whole order. And by kill, I mean just end it. Gotta hope the so. People. Um,
0: Are, you know, some of those people could go too, actually.
1: I mean, as far as the magic system works, I mean, I don't think she can end magic, but I'd like to see the Order of Merlin yeah, done.
0: Yeah. Because that was, I don't ever think, was ever supposed to be a thing that happened. At least in terms of, like, the world, I think it was like, a, it happened, but like, this wasn't like something that was supposed to be a natural occurrence. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm interested to kind of see. Yeah. Although I, I still think of the lady of, of the of the lake is going to show up. Oh yeah. In book three It's going to be like a like a pivotal figure, because in every single Arthurian legend, she shows up to help Arthur.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, are there's going to be like a whole secret order of like lake ladies because that's what Mallory did was like it's now a whole order yeah there's many ladies of the lake are they all in one lake I don't know but that has but yeah that has been our little conversation about Tracy Dion's Legendborn series um I think you should read it I think it's a really good read especially if you like why even if you don't like YA I think you should give it a shot. And that includes our time for today. Sarah, do you have anything you want to promo?
1: My brain just went blank. <laughs> <laughs> I get I, promoing this book. It's excellent. Yeah. It, it deserves to be read. It needs to be read and talked about more.
0: I agree. And on that note, I will see all of you next time for uh, next episode where we'll be featuring my friend Ian and we're going to be talking about vikings and or viking movies specifically and why wearing face paint does not make you a viking
1: just a good black metal fan <laughs>